3: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club and this is your show.
4: Easy does it. Three points against Burnley in the Premier League and then back on track in the Champions League with a battering of Bruges for City this week and with a great little cameo from one of the club's young stars too. What more could we have asked for? Welcome to this week's Blue Moon Podcast. We're going to reflect on the headlines from the last couple of games and that will include a focus on Cole Palmer who's got fans excited with his displays in the last seven days. Nicky Weaver will be on the show later to discuss the role of a second goalkeeper plus we're talking squad rotation. Guardiola has 11 spots in the starting lineup, but far more than 11 players who want to be in the team and he says they need to win the shirts by proving themselves on the pitch sam roscoe will cast his eye over that balancing act games with brighton and west ham to come as well so let's get started i'm david mooney and i'm joined by city fan one football's Dan Burke. hello and from the manchester evening news simon Bakowski. Hello. Uh, yeah, so uh, two good wins this week. One excellent and one decent performance, I thought. Um, still seems, though, a bit weird to start by focusing on individual performances. But I think, Simon, the biggest story this week is uh, the impact that Cole Palmer's had from the bench in both matches, isn't it? Yeah.
5: Um, yeah. I saw one football website be a bit snarky about the fact that there was a lot of focus on Cole Palmer. But it's it sort of, given what he did on Saturday... And then coming off the bench and doing what he did on uh Tuesday night, it, it was just you know, it's a really good story from what looks to be a really good player. Um so Saturday obviously coming off the bench for Burnley and then going to the um to the EDS, the under twenty threes, and scoring a hat trick and like a hat trick of very, very good goals. Like Palmer doesn't tend to score scrappy goals. I, just... I haven't
4: I haven't seen them. What were they like?
5: um just basically left foot rockets past the goalkeeper where he sort of manages to um you know hit it with enough power but enough sort of flair to make it look stylish and effortless and it, they're really really good um not up there with his one from liverpool last season but he, he he's just a, a very stylish player and that and that shows in his in his goals but i mean there were some people as well who were saying oh he only played 3 minutes against burnley um, so he was hardly tired, but I saw kind of Rodney Marsh kind of put it well with like, you know, it, it's so tiring to being to be a part of that first team squad for the whole day and the the tactical stuff beforehand and the warm up and you're constantly warming up on the pitch and it, it's draining uh, to the point where Guardiola didn't really want him to play in the, the 23s game. We didn't know that he could and had to be told by one of his coaches, yeah, he can and he wants to play, so let him play. Um, and then having done that, and obviously Premier League football, very different to under-23s, to come on in the Champions League against, you know, they, they didn't look great against City Club Bruges, but they held PSG there um, last month. To, to come on and score, again, a very classy goal um, just shows why he is such a, an exciting prospect and a great story.
4: Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to um, start too much beef, Simon. But uh, do you want to name names on this football website that was being snarky? I'm hoping. I'm kind of <laughs> hoping, in a weird way, that it was one football. So you and Dan can have a bit of a, a back and forth there now.
5: Uh, it, it is a um, no. A, no, you, a don't website. Have you
4: don't have to. It's it, all right.
5: <laughs> a, web, a, web, a website that, that likes to police the mainstream media. I stable.
4: see. I see, Dan. So it wasn't one football. Thank, <laughs> thank goodness. No, thank. Goodness, I think I know who
5: he's talking about. Yeah,
2: yeah,
4: um, uh, Dan. Obviously, um, the the thing with Palmer coming off the bench a, a, against Bruges, um, it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me how early in the game that was. There was a good 25, 30 minutes left of that game.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, can I just say that as a, as a fellow son of Withenshaw, how extra proud I am that we've we've got one of our own in the team. and Stockport might have claimed Phil Foden, but yeah, we've got we've got our boy now. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he's. Uh, He's really good, isn't he? A really good young player. He took his goal really well. It was it was kind of similar to his goal against Wickham. Um, kind of placed, finish with his left foot and uh, that's becoming a little bit of a trademark of his now, I guess. And I thought he was probably our best player in the Community Shield as well. Um, I, think, I think the, the nine subs uh, this season will, will give him more chance to be kind of in and around the first team than, than he might have been in previous years. Um, if Gabriel Jesus was available against Burnley, Palmer might not have featured, but the five subs in the Champions League gives him more chance to get on and I don't anticipate him starting a Premier League game anytime soon or, or even coming off the bench if we if you know if we're chasing the game if we need a goal but I think we should use him as much as possible in the cups and the, and the Champions League kind of dead rubbers if we have a few of those and and maybe starting with West Ham in the Carabao Cup this week would be a good chance to to get him involved and and I think it is also good to keep him involved with the EDS so Kind of keeps him grounded, keeps that rhythm of playing games, and and I think he's a, he's a lot like Foden, and that he's he's young and enthusiastic, and just loves playing football, and and will probably you know play two games a day happily. So so yeah, long may it continue. Yeah,
4: let's, let's have a listen to what Guardiola had to say about him after the uh, Bruges game because, uh, the, I mean, obviously in the in the pre- post-match press conference, he was he was a big part of it. So uh, let, let's have a listen to uh, to Guardiola's uh, highlights from that. Colo has
1: a special quality in front of the box, has this talent that is difficult to find when he has the ball there, most of the time finishing in the net and it's not easy to find it. But be calm, be patient, like we have done with Phil. So his position is the second team, had to play there and winning games there, but uh, in the same time he's training with us, he's taking the rhythm and our principles. And of course he's a player for our future, for the future for this club. And happy that uh, the goal he played, he could have done a few actions a little bit better, but it's normal, so it's experience, you know? It's a step-by-step, when we can do it our young players, we, we give it an opportunity. So at the end, the players, uh, I, I said many times, win the minutes or, or everything, what they do on the pitch. And we saw every training session, Cole Palmer in the in the training session always is there. And I like that feeling. He make play just three, four minutes against Burley and a few minutes later go with the second team and score three goals. The, that is the point. You know, some players, oh, I play in the first team, I go to the second one, I'm lazy, I don't want to play because I am another status have another status and and it's completely opposite go score three goals and what he has to do the people in in this world we want the things immediately you know quick and everything needs his time you cannot cook a good dish if you don't spend time in the in the kitchen
3: please give us your backing patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast
4: Simon, I think that was um, I think that was part of your question as well. In there, the way that Guardiola speaks about him as well is quite interesting. I think because I'm I'm noticing he's speaking in the same way as he did about Foden, and yet we were all going about Foden playing more, playing more, playing more. And I, I kind of I kind of wonder has that lesson been learned now? That, that Guardiola might know what he's doing with these young players.
5: <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I I do have to sort of disagree with him slightly about the kitchen point. I think you can make some very nice meals <laughs> in a very short space of time. But, he's
2: clearly but, never tried my beans on toast. If that's what <laughs> he's saying.
5: Yeah, but um, no, it, Palmer is is interesting because um, you know Phil Phil Foden is like the benchmark for all players coming through City's academy, but at the same time, he cannot be the benchmark. Because he is a one-off, you know, Foden is going to be one of, if not the best player in the world, at some point in his career. Um, so, so you can't compare him to Phil. You can't compare anyone to Phil. But at the same time, we can be we can treat Cole Palmer a lot sort of more like Phil than we could a week ago, because the sort of development that he's shown makes you think, Christ, he could be really, really, really good. Um, as opposed to maybe really, really good. So, um, yeah, I think Palmer is getting the Foden treatment. He's getting it in the sense that he will stay at City and be kept very close to to Guardiola's first-team squad. And like Dan said, with the nine subs, you get more opportunities for game time. Um, But I think, you know, Palmer is kind of surprising and exciting in, in equal measures, really. Yeah.
4: Um, Dan, one final question on, on Palmer, because, uh, obviously, in terms of, of, uh, like you said about the, the availability of subs for this season, how, how, how involved do you think he, he could be this season? And will you be disappointed if he's not as involved as, as maybe we want him to be?
2: Not really, no. I think this does feel a little bit different. I think, you know, Foden was this kind of generational talent that we'd, we'd wait a long time for. And even though it didn't always feel like it, I think there was always a desire in, in the club to ensure a pathway to the first team for him. Whereas Palmer, it feels like a bit of a bonus, really. There's probably going to be less appetite from the fans and from the outside media for him to make the grade. There's going to be no, he's the future of the England team. We need him to be playing at club level. What is going on, kind of thing. And I think, I think it's, let's be honest, it's going to be difficult for him to get in long term because he plays in a position where we're well stocked. He's is a attacking midfield player with the left foot you know we've got a few of those and and maybe if if we did sell one of those players that, we, that we've already got we, we'd look to replace them in the transfer market rather than, than giving that spot to a young player so I mean there, there was a lot of talk about Foden going out alone, and, and and Guardiola always insisted that he'd be better off staying at City and learning there and, and staying close but maybe there will come a time when, when loaning out Palmer would be the more sensible option because first team football is going to be hard to come by and I think it's, it's just going to be a bonus whatever he can get this season and, and like I said earlier get him, get him involved in the cups as much as possible and stuff like that. Um, but I don't, I don't see him playing much Premier League football this year.
4: Yeah, right. Well, uh, let's talk about Raheem Sterling as well. He's been the focus of a lot of discussion by City fans recently because of his impact in the team, and it hasn't been the same as it was during the highs of 2017 to 2019, where he was so often one of the first names on the team sheet. Sam Roscoe's been having a look at what's happened
3: this week. Changes. Ahead of the game with Burnley, Pep Guardiola was asked about something Raheem Sterling had said in an interview with the Financial Times. Asked about his lack of playing time, Sterling admitted he'd be open to a move away from the Etihad.
1: I didn't know it, and I think the club neither. Raheem is our player, as been is, and hopefully will be an incro- important player for us, so I don't know if he won... Play game time more, like uh, Riyad when he doesn't play, complain. Like Joao doesn't play, complain. There some players, uh, yeah, complain, want to play all the time.
3: But the manager also said that it wasn't a one-way street. There's always a way back for players who aren't in the team.
1: They have opportunity because they know they're going to play minutes. So I'm not a guy who only play 11 players and that's all. So all of them are involved and the moment is there. So, But not just Raheem, all of them want to play every Game 90 minutes, but I cannot give them. I cannot assure them. Uh, so they have to prove every training session, and on the pitch, and try to be happy there.
3: All of that said, though, Guardiola also admitted he wouldn't stand in the way of any player who wasn't happy and wanted to leave.
1: What I want from Rahim and for everyone is be happy. They have to be satisfied to be here. They have to be. The lie to be in this club, Uh, if this is not the case, they are free to to take the decision for the best for him, for the players, for their families, for uh, all the people who love them. So this is the most important thing. They have to, to be happy. Give more time, I understand completely. I was a football player and all the time I want to play.
3: Guardiola was also asked in that press conference about John Stones. At that point, the defender was yet to play a minute for City, despite impressing throughout the whole of last season. That was because Améric Laporte had come in and done well in a similar way to how Stones had won his place back in the team 12 months earlier.
1: Jonas Stone was so important player for us last season because they were playing incredible well alongside to Ruben, and I may play a lot of minutes but not quite regularly. But this start of the season, uh, uh, I may play incredible well alongside to Ruben and and. It's for to let him play. So, and John, like, he's an exceptional guy, like always knows the situation, the same situation is fighting. So I'm delighted for the good performance he has done with national team. At the end, I may want the minutes on the pitch is the only way they can, they can do it. So always I give opportunities to the players, all the time.
3: The manager had been asked about Stones, but this was an answer that took in every player in the squad, including Sterling.
1: Everyone has to, to try to do it on the pitch the moment they start the game. The rest is not important. And Rahim, in that case, when the other one, is so important player for us. So important. But he compete with Jack Grealish, with Phil Foden, with Ferran, with Gabriel, with Rihard, with Bernardo. So this is the reality. The top clubs is the reality. The way is the string harder, harder. And to the moment is going to play that is going to happen now show uh, you were right and it all
3: kept coming back to the same point time and again
1: when i give you opportunity to play show me show yourself solve the world how wrong i was when i was not selecting and after you're right you have to play tomorrow the biggest speak on the piece you know like time
0: time.
3: as guardiola was keen to point out though he selected sterling for the champions league final last season and he wouldn't have done that if he didn't think the forward was up to the job. After this press conference, Sterling then started against Burnley and played the whole 90 minutes. He came off the bench for the final 25 minutes in Bruges too, but on both occasions he wasn't able to make a big impact, missing a few chances in that second game too. Ahead of the Champions League group game, the issue of rotation was put to Kevin De Bruyne.
4: Well, obviously, rotation is important because obviously uh, playing for competition and mostly going far in that, it, it's, it's a tough ask sometimes. But I, I, I understand the frustration because, you know, you have some players who need more rhythm to get into it and maybe Raz is somebody who needs that more. I'm personally a player who, who needs that
3: also. So sometimes it's tough to play one game one game, not. One game, yeah. But the midfielder added that the players try to support each other through the rotation.
4: It's very hard. We have a group of players, 22, 23 internationals, who are unbelievable. So basically, whoever you, you pick, you you will be right a lot of the time. So uh, whenever the team plays, plays good. There's not a lot of things you can say as a player, but it can be frustrating. But I drink we also try to help each other, so that's the only thing we can do as players to each other.
3: Keeping everybody happy is probably one of the hardest parts of Guardiola's job. Competition for places at City has never been higher, though. When the BBC's Simon Stone asked the manager about his experience of it as a player, Pep was feeling a little mischievous.
1: Look Simon, I was an exceptional player, I was never in the bench, always I was playing, I'm sorry, so I cannot answer this question. You are so young, you don't remember. But you <laughs> I'm are not so that young. young, I do you remember. You, you, you didn't see me, so I was so good, um, so. I'm sorry.
3: With Sterling's contract at City expiring at the end of the season, the clock is ticking on whether the winger can refine the form that made him practically undroppable for Guardiola from 2017 to 2019. Could that start at Brighton this weekend?
2: Hi, I'm David James and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Tax day is coming. Oh, no.
3: This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast.
4: That was Sam Roscoe uh, recapping the week. Um, Dan, what what do you make of,
2: of Sterling's week so far? <laughs> well, I had a funny feeling. I think I said to you actually, Moody, that he might start and score against Burnley, and then and then go on a run and kind of put all this bad form behind him. And, and as it happened, he did, he did nothing against Burnley, did he? And then came against Club Rouge and, and missed a load of chances. And, and ordinarily, you'd look at a performance like that and think, oh, he's just had a bit of an off night. He's just a bit unlucky. But you know, it's been it's been a pattern of performances like that for a while now, and, it, and it's a bit concerning. And he's never been the most clinical finisher. And, and when you, I think, when you combine that with with a lack of confidence, it, it's really not a good mix. So. So, uh, I, I don't know. It, it still wouldn't surprise me if we kind of saw a bit of a Stones-esque turnaround from him. But I think his comments last week suggested that he's already thinking about moving on and maybe maybe it'd be best now, Whether maybe we, we load him out in January and, and that may not necessarily be the, be the end of his City career. But I, I think it'd be interesting to see if, if we did load him out or, or, or let him go, whether City actually would bother to replace him as well. Yeah, uh,
4: Simon, it's it's strange, isn't it? Because the comments that Stirling made to the Financial Times, they, they, you can spin them in two ways. You can look at it as, as as to say, well, if an opportunity comes up, then I'd be open to it. But he's not saying he wants to leave, but that, like it's it's a clear indication that things are not right at the moment.
5: Yeah, <clears throat> um, it, it it's tough, isn't it? Because it, it never sounds good when footballers come out and say. I, I want to leave this club, or I would be open to leaving this club. But then, you know, you you have not got a top footballer at your club if they are happy with not playing every week. Like you, you can't fault um, Sterling for wanting to play every week, and he's not playing anywhere near that at City. Um, I, I I just thought Bruges kind of summed up his his problems. Like that the left back scored, the right back who never scored scores. The nineteen-year-old comes off the bench and scores, and Sterling comes on and misses three, four, like really good chances, um, and it, it's a worry for him because his his scoring form came precisely because he wasn't affected by confidence or anything like that. He could put it behind him if he missed a chance, and and he'd score the next one. Where it, not nothing is going is going right for him. I I mean he. You know, he didn't have to say what he said to the FT, but I I don't think it was particularly damning or um, damaging to the club even or anything like that. I think it was just an honest admission. And, you know, I'm always going to champion players and managers being being honest. So, you know, it's tough, like Kevin De Bruyne said before the Bruges game, you know, some players need rhythm to get back into their form and he needs that. But then you can understand why a manager doesn't want to sort of, Jeopardize his best chance of winning by picking a player just so he can come back into form. So something something needs to change, but it's really not clear to see to see what is going to change.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, as Bruce shows, Danny, it's still getting into those positions. It's just not paying off. I mean, the one obviously he laid on Cole Palmer's goal, but other than that, the one that stood out was. Um, it, it was played to him almost on top of the goalkeeper and it felt like he needed to just lift it over the goalkeeper or get a firmer connection. And it just kind of rolled over the top of his foot. And I just kind of, at that point, I was thinking, it's just not going to happen for him.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got one goal this season, I think, against uh, Norwich, wasn't it? Um, yeah, he, I don't know if he's one of those who who who... Will score a goal and and the goals will flow after that. Um, it's just a, it's just a bit of, a bit of a catch twenty two that he needs games to get his form back, but he's out of form, so he's not going to get games, and it is a, it is a tricky situation for everyone really. And I, it does kind of feel to me that maybe a, a bit of a clean break would be best for everyone now if he goes somewhere where he's going to play a bit more and and get his career back on track, and and uh, and we just move on without him.
4: Yeah, I was going to ask Simon what next for him at City. Is 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 that it? Because there's there's eighteen months left on his contract there or
5: thereabouts. Well, well, I think the, the the problem, as it was for you know other players in summer, is where who's going to take him um, for you know considerable amount of money because he's into the final two years of his contract, but he's still going to command a, a significant fee. Um, and you know there is one there is a world class footballer inside, but are clubs who don't have as much money as they once had or don't have that much money want to be splashing out? Most of their budget on a player that has has barely scored in, you know, eight months or something like that. Um, so it, it it still feels like he'll probably spend the season at, at City. I know there's a bit of you know fancy talk about him going to Newcastle as part of their all-star eleven in January, but um, <laughs> Not for I, me, you mind. know, yeah, you know, he he is incredibly ambitious and he wants to be playing at one of the best clubs and teams in. In the world, and you know Newcastle is, is not that at the minute. So the the clubs that perhaps might have money um, aren't necessarily where be where he is he is looking at. So it, for, for me, I, I still think he's going to be he's going to be at City for the season um, unless they can find out some miracle loan deal in January. Yeah. Uh,
4: One of the other players that uh, I want to talk about in their form uh, who's making it hard for Sterling to get into the team regularly is Bernardo Silva. Um, I just want to read a tweet from the uh, 15th of June 2021, Dan. Um, It says, I've enjoyed Bernardo's time at City, but in his four years at the club, he's had one brilliant season, one bad one, and uh, two pretty average ones. I'll be sad to see him go if it happens, but if it frees up space in the squad for someone like Grealish, my sadness would be short-lived. Who wrote wrote that, Dan? (laughs)
2: Don't know, some tosser apparently.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes how how very like we very rarely put our heads above the parapet. Sometimes we're making these mm. takes, and then every now and then we make a take like that, and it comes back to bite you. How are
2: you feeling? <laughs> uh, I should have deleted it shouldn't I yeah yeah I was wrong I was wrong not for the first time certainly not for the last time but yeah uh, maybe he saw that and that's, that's what's kind of inspired him who knows maybe maybe, yeah. maybe who knows a yeah, but yeah, I think he's playing possibly the best football of his City career at the moment Bernardo and, and arguably the most informed midfielder in the world at the moment I think he, his attitude's always been great but the way he's kind of knuckled down after not getting the move away has been really impressive and I hope he stays forever now and, and in a post-Covid world maybe his personal life gets it's a bit easier, um, but you know, the Manchester weather isn't improving anytime soon, is it? So that's always going to be a bit of a, bit a, a problem for him, um, unless he starts commuting from Portugal or something, which I don't think is is very environmentally friendly. But <laughs> yeah, if, if this is his last season and, and it carries on like this, then I'll, I'll re- rewrite my tweet perhaps and say he's had two brilliant seasons <laughs> one bad one, and, and one good one, and one average one because I, I think. I kind of still stand by the sentiment of the tweet, but maybe the the semantics of it were wrong.
4: Yeah, I I I know what you mean, Simon. <laughs> the, the other thing that um, I guess has been brought home this week that I, I I knew I knew this, but I didn't know I knew it. If that makes sense, um, <laughs> I, he carries the ball really, really well.
5: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's like a sort of a. A slalom skier with the way he just kinda of gets <laughs> the ball and puts his head down and he's left and right. It, it, it's also so natural. You, you can see why um why they called him bubblegum when he was was coming through at Benfica because the ball just sticks to his feet. Um and yeah I, I you know I I don't disagree with, with Dan's Dan's tweet either, really. Um but but I think that the sadness was um, as much as anything, because he's kind of a fan favourite. Um, you know, he, he's endeared himself to to fans in a way that, uh, well, more so than the many other members of the squad. So the the, the sadness that him, at him leaving was more because of that rather than the the outstanding football that he'd produced. Because if you were looking at, um, yeah, he, he was outstanding in eighteen nineteen, and then hasn't been for the last two years. So if he wanted to go you can see why um, city were were happy to sort of agree to his wishes yeah. as long as a, a bid came in but now while they will still sort of reluctantly accept if he wants to leave it'll he's probably added 30 40 million to his price tag yeah
4: um, just before we we move on as well, I want to talk about uh, Phil Foden because we can't we can't ignore the uh, the performance of Phil Foden against Bruges, uh, especially. Um, Dan he set up Cancelo for the opening goal um, with a, an incredible ball uh, over the top. He, he he ran the show as well. Um, it's really hard to say more about Phil Foden because it's that's kind of become his standard now.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, he is. A world-class player. He is one of our best players, if not our best player at the moment, yeah and and I think Simon was right when he said earlier that he's going to be at some point one of, if not the best players in the world, so I think the great thing about this kind of strikerless system that City have been almost forced into playing is how difficult it is to defend against. The the front three moves around really fluidly and then you get a fourth or sometimes even a fifth player joining from midfield and dragging defenders out of position and creating space and Foden's kind of the epitome of that and against Bruges, he seems to be playing about three positions at once and I like it when he plays out on the left, like he did against Liverpool, because he's, he's really dangerous there. And, and and I think having two right-footed players on the left with him and Cancel- uh, with with Cancelo at right back as uh, left back as well can, can make City a little bit predictable sometimes. But Foden can play anywhere, and you'll always get a top-class performance out of him. Yeah, he's 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 fantastic. He's amazing. You know, I've run out of good things to say about him. Really, he just doesn't surprise you anymore, does he?
4: Yeah. Well, uh, we'll we'll have to leave it there because there are literally no words in the English language that can <laughs> that, that can adequately describe him anymore. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to get things.
6: For some
4: more. It struck me on Friday as well that when Guardiola said that Edison and Jesus weren't available for the game with Burnley uh, because they played for Brazil over the international break that I just wasn't concerned. Uh, maybe it was because it was Burnley at home, but also it was because that Zach Stefan has proven himself on a number of occasions now to be a pretty good deputy for City's number one goalkeeper. I've been having a chat with former City keeper Nicky Weaver. During his time at Main Road and Eastlands, he spent time as both City's number one and City's number two. And I wanted to know more about the difference in the two roles. Well,
6: obviously, everybody wants to be a number one. Um, and I think it depends here which club you're at um, and be who the number one keeper is. I mean, Obviously, we're talking about Zach Steffen. He's number two goalkeeper behind Edison, who's you know been fantastic um, since he first come to City. One of, the, if not, best goalkeeper in the Premier League. Plays for Brazil as well, um, so it's no sort of hardship being a number two behind somebody like that because you pretty much know your place. Um, and when an opportunity comes, you, you know you've got to do as well as you can. But ultimately, if you're a number two to a goalkeeper like Edison. Um, if you're coming for the odd game here or there you know it is going to be the odd game here or there you don't really expect uh, after one or two games to 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 retain your place
4: yeah i mean it's it's interesting that that sort of um mindset does it mean does it mean your preparations have to be different if you if you know that you're you're not going to keep your place after the after the game that you've just played
6: no i think everyone in the squad whether you're a goalkeeper or not um you've got to prepare as if you're playing um ultimately as a goalkeeper if, if you have got an outright number one, an outright number two, which the vast majority of Premier League teams do, um, you pretty much know all week what's going to happen, but you've still got to be prepared um, as if you were playing. But ultimately, you know, pretty much you know you're not going to play. So it, it's a really unique position. Um, but, you know, a good number two, you support the guy who's playing um, in the warm-up and in the lead-up to it the few days before it. Because it is a close-knit group with the goalkeepers. Um... You know, it's a lot you're a lot tighter than you are with uh, the Outfield players. They'll train at eighteen or twenty or twenty two, where the goalkeepers will be, you know, two, three or four of you. Um so you do um, you know, train together all week in close quarters and you and, and you're part of the you know, they call it the goalkeepers' union. So we've sort of got each other's back. Obviously everybody wants to play, but whoever is playing, it's up to the, you know, number two or number three, whatever it is to to support the guy who's playing.
4: Yeah, I mean, the other side of it, as well as a number two, you can spend a long time on the bench and suddenly, you know, one week the the, the goalkeeper gets injured, you have to come on. Well, how, how's that? What's that like?
1: It's not... Uh,
6: I remember the last time it happened to me, I was on the bench uh, for Aberdeen against Celtic, um, just before I retired. And I think I was on about my fourth Jaffa cake uh, and um, the goalkeeper got sent off the next minute. I was on facing the penalty. So that's how quickly it can sort of... Um, turn, Um, so yeah and you sort of your mind goes into overload and you suddenly, you sat there relaxing, watching the game not relaxing, but you're sort of obviously watching the game and suddenly, injury sending off and you're suddenly on with a goalkeeper, it's not like the manager will say to a striker, you know, if you're 1-0 down, get yourself warmed up you pretty much know, with 20 minutes to go you're going to be going on sort of thing, as a goalkeeper it's not like that you've got a proper warm up and everything so um, but you've got to be prepared for it and, and ultimately um, once you're on the pitch you you know you've got to be ready for, you know to deal with whatever comes your way
4: yeah i mean i'm i'm interested in, in your career as a little bit at city as well in in that role because obviously you came you came into city as as the number one back in but uh, when you made your debut in the 90s um, but did you notice much difference when, when you came back from your injury
6: um well it was funny when I came back to, obviously I you know I, I sort of look at my city career in two parts, sort of pre injury and post injury, because obviously I had a, a bad injury in the middle of my city career. But um so yeah, so I pretty much played for sort of three and a half, four years pretty solidly, and then I was injured and didn't play for a couple of years. Um and then I, I came back for the two thousand six, seven season, and I think I played thirty one games that season. Um but you know, at one point we just signed Joe Hart. Um we signed Andre X Isaacson, the Swedish boy, and David James was still there. So I'm thinking, you know, this is great. <laughs> so I don't know if I'm number three, number four, or what. Well, anyway, David James went to Portsmouth, um, and I think I was going to be on the bench for the first game of the season away at Chelsea. Um, they were the champions, and the day before, Andre X Isaacson um, got injured. So I got my chance, played away at Chelsea, my first City appearance for a couple of years. Um, and I think I played... You know, the first few months of that season, um, even when Andreas got back fit, um, you know, Stuart Pierce stayed with me. So that was great for me. Um, Joe Hart was only 18, 19 at the time, so he perhaps wasn't quite ready. Um, but yeah, but if Andreas hadn't got injured just before the season started, you know, I might not have played that season.
4: Yeah, were you, were you nervous?
6: Yeah. Um, you know, I'd had a loan spell at Sheffield Wednesday the year before. I think I played 14 games there. Um, but I'd hardly played any football in the sort of two and a half years before that. So I'd gone from playing loads of football when I was 19, 20, 21, 22, to then, you know, 23, 24, 25, not really playing much football. So, yeah, I was really nervous. Uh, it was live on telly Sunday afternoon, Chelsea were the champions, first game of the season. You know, it was all Iron Robin and Drogba and, you know, so it was, you know, Lampard and Te- So it was a proper, proper Chelsea team. So, yeah, very nervous. And I remember losing the game 3-0. And I think it was Robin Drogburn Lampard who scored. But sort of coming off disappointed that we'd lost, but I personally felt I'd had a, you know, an okay game. So I, and I played for Man City again in the Premier League, which is something I never thought I'd do. So um so I came off off that uh, off the pitch, sort of mixed emotions, buzzing to be back playing. I sort of played okay, but ultimately disappointed that that, that we'd lost. But no one really gave us a chance anyway, because Chelsea were, you know, like I said, they were champions.
4: Yeah, when when you look back at, at your time at City, is it, when you think of your time there as, as, as the number two, was it? Was it? A, a, what set of challenges was it that was different to, to when you were there as the number
0: one?
6: Um, I mean, you know, I was number two to David James for a little bit for, for a while. So, you know, at the time, David James was England's number one. So, I pretty much knew I wasn't going to play in front of David James um, because you know he, he did great for City in a couple of years. He was there. So it's, it's a different mindset sometimes. I remember when, you know, Kevin Keegan came in, he played me, and then he dropped me and put Carlo Nash in, then he dropped Carlo and put me in. So that was a bit different because I felt, um, you know, me and Carlo probably felt we were both better than the other one, if you like, or fancied our chances against the other one, where, for example, when it was me and David James, I mean, I'd always back myself, don't get me wrong, but ultimately David James were England's number one. So that meant he was sort of City's number one. Um, and if you look at someone like David James's career, wherever he's been, he's played, and that's sort of how good Jamo was. So, so yeah, I, th- I think it all depends on who the who the number one is and and how good he is, and how you rate yourself against him. I, I mean, I remember when it was me and Carlo. Um, you know, I got left out of the team, and I didn't think I should have been. Then also, I, I got put back in the team when I didn't think Carlo should have been left out of the team. So, I, I've had it, I've had it both ways, um, but ultimately. You know, when you are a number two and you get a chance, you've got to take it, um, and then you know make the manager you know make decisions. I mean, the biggest compliment I could pay to to Zach Stefan is that he's Man City's number two, and they've not gone out and bought anyone to be the number two, if you like. Um, so ultimately, only plays probably five or six games a season in the cups and what have you. But he's obviously Pep Guardiola's has obviously got a lot of confidence in him, um, and he has performed well when he's played.
4: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Stefan there. You're you're obviously with uh, Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. You, you you won't get that much chance to see City week by week, anyway. So let alone when Stefan's in the team. Uh, what what little you've seen of him? What do you make of him?
6: Yeah, I mean, he played well on Saturday against Burnley. Made a good save. Um, I saw him play last year in the Champions League against, I'm sure it was Marseille, um, and he did well. So I think the games he's played in, he's done well. Um, like I said earlier the biggest compliment I can pay him is that you know City haven't gone out and got like a big hit number two if you like they're obviously really happy with him Um, but ultimately he's not played in the big big games you know if he had to go and play away at Anfield in in the Premier League or away at Old Trafford or or what have you they're the big big games that you know that City uh, City playing these days he's not had to play in any of the big big games so the games he's had to come in you know Burnley at home a few cup games a couple of Champions League games where it was a little bit of a dead rubber, where he would already qualified or whatever. So he's not had to play in the really big games, but you know all the questions that has been asked so far, is uh, you know he's had the answers for.
3: Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, bluemoonpodcast.com
4: That was Nicky Weaver speaking to me. So um, I mean Simon Zach Stefan uh, under the radar, quite quietly. As uh, he's he's a really good goalkeeper, isn't he?
5: Yeah. I I would say so. Um, I, I, I don't think he's he's convinced everyone yet, but um, but yeah, I like him. Um, in in lockdown, you could hear um, how much he shouts at his defenders all the time. He shouts at everyone in the team. You know, he communicates very well. Um, he's a good shot stopper. I think he's been he's been very very good when he's played this season. Um I thought he was good at Wembley in the community shield and I seem to think he made a few decent interventions against Wickham and uh and against Burnley on Saturday. You know, he made I, I think he came out of his area and, and headed the ball away early in the first half, but just made it look I, I as good as Edison would have made it look. Yeah. Um it's yeah, I, I think he's very good and it was interesting, he was Pep was asked about um Stefan, after the Burnley game and uh, talked up his goalkeeping coach Javi uh, Manzur, who is uh, very, very, very good and uh, well, the best in the world according to according to Pep, and just saying how much he has improved, Stefan, and how much he's he's brought him on, um, which you know is is exactly what you want from from your coaching staff.
4: Yeah, it was, I think it was the community shield for me down that, that really cemented how, how well he couldn't do at at City. There's a number of good saves, and even in, even in the penalty incident, like he made a cracking save before that penalty was, was given. And that's the reason the penalty was given because Leicester were then deemed to not have had an advantage because he made such a good save.
2: Yeah. Yeah, he's he's a good shot stopper. He's good with his feet. He's got a good command of his area. I think he did really well with that one-on-one. He saved against Burnley at the weekend. And yeah, he's a modern goalkeeper in a similar mould to Edison. He's not quite as good, but he's not he's not too far behind him. I don't know whether whether that's something they've, they've worked on specifically on the training ground and kind of said, just, just copy Edison, just give us a bit of a, a sort of carbon copy if you can of of him and um, yeah he, he's come a long way in, in a short space of time in his career when when Guardiola took over at City he was playing for a team called the Pittsburgh Riverhounds so <laughs> I think it's uh, yeah.
4: not, not a real team come
2: <laughs> it, it is yeah apparently yeah so f- so to be playing to be playing Premier League and uh, and, and Champions League football now is, is a real feather in his cap I think
4: yeah, um, Dan. Has also, City have had uh, number twos recently. That I, I, I don't know if this is harsh to call them this, but they've been the, the sort of fallen from grace number twos, uh, <laughs> like like Bravo and Caballero, or they've been young players like 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 Murich. Um, it feels weird to be in a position where your first choice goalkeeper's out, and you don't go, "Oh God, it's Bravo this week. What's gonna What's he gonna be like? You, do you know what I mean? It's like you you, you just yeah. go in there, and you go, "Oh, I can trust this guy."
2: Yeah yeah absolutely yeah I mean and it, and I think his performances are particularly impressive considering he's on the bench for 95% of the season so for him to come in and, and put on a good good display is really good and I mean I, yeah you think back to the Bravo signing and I, I was in favor of that at the time I thought it would be a good move and obviously you know Guardiola needed a goalkeeper at that time who was going to be good with the feet but you only need to look at how right they've got the goalkeeper recruitment since then to see how how badly they got that one wrong don't you Yeah I'm
4: in favor of Bravo that tweet against Bernardo I don't know I don't know why we keep having you back you know <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm an idiot, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
4: right. Well, uh, to help us preview this weekend's trip to Brighton, we're now joined by Adi Packham from Albion Raw. Adi, welcome to the program. Um, I'd just like to start. How, how are Brighton getting on this season? It looks from the outside in, it looks pretty good.
0: Um, well, if you look at the league table, we're, we're sitting in fourth, which is unprecedented for us, and um, a long may it continue. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's been a, a decent start to the season. Um, it's is it a surprise that we're in that position not particularly because if if you if you listen to all the media noise about us about the fact everyone's basically saying how well we've been playing for for the last couple of years and 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 what a great job grand pos is doing but the results haven't necessarily matched what the performances um said they should be um and now bizarrely actually the performances have dropped off but the points are picking up um so it's a bit of a swings and roundabout thing really so yeah i mean we're we're delighted to be in the position where we are um we know we're very we're resolute we're very difficult to beat we play good football we have a system which will change four or five times during the game depending on on the opposition and um yeah it's uh, um it's all going very very well at the moment
4: I tell you what, Dan. Um, listening to that, point, you, you can have points or performances, but not both. That, 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 <laughs> that to me is Kevin Keegan's city in like two thousand and
2: three. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, isn't it? I think, uh, I think maybe Graham Potter might might quite be quite like that comparison, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I really like watching Brighton. They're a great side, great manager, uh, play really nice football, and started to get the the results to go with it this season. I think a lot of people looked at them last season and saw that they were the stats lads. Will tell you they were underperforming their XG and all that sort of stuff. So. Um yeah good to see them getting getting the results they deserve now and I uh, hope they don't get a result this weekend.
4: Yeah. I I was going to I was going to say this uh, AD because like to me it seems like over the last certainly over the last couple of years of the of the Premier League life uh, Brighton seemed like the unluckiest team that I've ever seen. The the number <laughs> of games where I've seen you just batter the opposition but somehow lose is like it's incredible. I thought that was a trait that was only reserved to City to kind of like 2003 to 2006.
0: Yeah, we're the XD champions of the world. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's what a what a decent striker would do for you, I suppose. Um, we, yeah, we've we been creating so many chances uh, and putting the t- so many teams to the sword, um, and not without having a sword, uh, <laughs> it's, it's long <laughs> and short of it, uh, we, we are creating so many clear-cut chances. Neil Morpire has probably only taken about one in six decent opportunities. I mean, the, the typical game was a game against um, Crystal Palace last season. We had 22 attempts on goal to their two and lost 2-1. <laughs> um, I mean, it's pretty much sums up what exactly what, what the XG thing was all about. And a clear finisher in the box. We would have... One game's three, four, possibly five nil. sometimes because that's what the dominance actually deserved. But, I mean, it was incredibly frustrating, but uh, we we knew where the issues were.
4: Yeah, Simon, that that sounds to me a lot like some of the issues that City have. Like the the number of times they they can, you know, play and play and play, create the chances and just not put it in the net.
5: Yeah, and football is a very, very simple game. And uh, especially for teams that come up from from the championship to the premier league i think you just realize kind of i mean i mean you stay up if you have a good defence but what separates you from a relegation dogfight is someone who can score goals and if you can find that striker then then you find and brighton for so long have you know looked very good on the eye but not played um not had the the finishing power to to sort of break away um, from, from those kind of worries. But they, they seem to be doing it so far. They see, I mean, it affects the top, doesn't it? City don't have a striker. But, um, yeah, it's it, it, it's frustrating. But I think, as you see with Brighton, the, um, they've got a lot of the fundamentals right. And I think um, I, someone like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is kind of helping to move the narrative people were sort of laughing at Graham Potter or, or the idea that Potter could coach a top top side because of Brighton's position in the table or the fact that they didn't score many goals or whatever but we're, we're moving past the idea that just the league table defines how good you are as a team or a coach
4: yeah, just on Potter, Ad. How I, 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 what's what, what's the feeling towards him? Is there is there any nerves that that a top side is going to come in and go? Actually, we like the look of you. We'll take you uh,
0: absolutely. Because I mean, if uh, if a side's successful, um, then they're going to look at why are they successful. Uh, we want to be successful too, and and the reason that we are is because uh, Grand's doing so well. Um, I mean, I don't think he would go to someone like a Newcastle for instance, but, um, because I think he's got too many, uh, well, I think he's got a moral compass. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but yeah, I mean, I could see, I mean, there was, there's rumors of him going to Spurs in the, in the summer. There's rumors of, um, any, any club that's, um, got, uh, got uh, any ambition. They should be looking at ground because, what he does, he makes players better he's he's actually a, a coach more than anything i mean obviously there is i mean a classic example that would be in during the during the summer we sold Ben White for fifty million pounds, which is the biggest ever transfer we have ever made and um, there's a lot of noise around the club saying where's our striker where's our striker why aren't we spending this money I'm like hello we've just gone through a major pandemic hello um <laughs> like uh we've just lost uh, like all of that money in uh, we not having people in the grounds, et cetera. But, um, you know, obviously there would have been a transfer budget, which Tony would have put into place as Tony blue, my chairman. But what Graham's actually, actually said was, well, if we, you know, we're, we're, looking, we're obviously in the market, but if it, but I'm confident I can make the players I've got better if, we, if, if the right player doesn't come available. And that's, and that's what he's doing. Yeah. Um, Dan, just looking at Brighton, obviously
4: City, I, I think City have got quite fond memories, apart from last season, got quite fond memories of uh, going down to Brighton. Um, obviously, first Premier League game for Brighton was, was, was against City. Uh, City won the title there in, in 2019. It's, it, it's a good place for City to go, but still a challenging
2: game yeah definitely yeah i mean I, I think you can probably you could probably write off the defeat there last season uh given we'd already won the title and it was a bit of a sort of second string team and bit of a Ramshackle performance, bit of a weird game, wasn't it? Really? Some odd referee decisions and that kind of thing. But um, I think a few teams struggled there last season. I think uh if I remember rightly, Liverpool only drew there. United needed a goal after full time to win That me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: I'm still annoyed as well, don't worry. Um, so and, and, and if you remember that the home game against Brighton as well, I think we won two nil. Was it one nil or two nil in the end? It was one or nil, we, but you missed the One penalty. nil, yeah. We missed the penalty, but it was it was that was a really tough game. I remember. I remember Brighton really had some had some good chances there. So, yeah, like I said earlier, they were a good side, and and um, I, I mean, I saw them against Norwich last week, and and Norwich created some chances against them, and, and Brighton have got one goal in the last three now. So it'll be interesting to see whether they do find some form again in time for this weekend and kind of raise the game for City coming to town. But uh yeah, I'm, I'm expecting a tough game. <laughs>
3: and under every manager, just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk.
4: Ad, when what 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 are the players that City need to be wary of for, for, for this game? What's uh, what? How how are you like to set up as well? Are you, are you likely to try and press City? Well
0: we'll we'll certainly won't park the bus we we're, we're, we're trying um we'll try and and win the game by playing football against you um you know I'll, we've got one of the best defences in the league we don't concede many goals um, we know that we'd have, the defence will have to be turned on. I mean, in terms of personnel, I, I've, we've given up second-guessing what, what team um, Graham will actually put out because it's like we're always wrong. But, I mean, Tarek Lamptey's likely to come – could be coming back. We've just signed uh, Marco Correa from Getafe, and it, he looks like a, like a real find. Midfield, we've got um, Jakob Moda. I mean, what, one thing we have got at Brighton is a successful plan for every position. I don't think there'll be any particular player to worry about, but what you should be worried about is the actual team. Yeah. Um,
4: Simon, in terms of of how City have dealt with teams that are proactive, um, you look at how City dealt with Liverpool. Uh, They dealt with them fairly well, but still conceded twice. Southampton were tricky because they were, I guess, surprisingly proactive in that game. Um, What what do you make of City under pressure this season?
5: Very, very good. I think pressure has... has brought the best out of them really. Um, you know, the the performances against Chelsea and Liverpool were were right out of the top draw. Um I think it is going to be interesting with with Brighton because, you know, they're a very good team. Guardiola has so much respect for them. Um, but also the fact that they might come on to to City more than other teams do kind of throws up where the City will go for the false nine that they have preferred in big games. Or whether they might think someone like Raheem Sterling, as out of form as he is, might be the man to sort of get in behind the lines. And um, the game that AD mentioned before, the 5-0 Sterling got a hat-trick. So, you know, maybe that might be able to be sort of some kind of of trigger for him to sort of find where the, the back of the net is again. But um, I think the, the fact that as soon as they scored the, the third goal at Bruges the other night, Guardiola was like, right, all of my best players are coming off the pitch. Um, so I would be massively surprised if kind of De Bruyne, Bernardo, Foden, Rodri, Laporte um, were brought off for any other reason than I want these guys to be completely fresh for, for Brighton because they will need to be.
4: Yeah. Dan, I was going to ask about City's front line um, because obviously there, there's so many players vying for those those, those positions. But uh, Simon kind of covered it there in in what happened in Bruges. What about the centre-backs? Where, where, where would you go with this? Because... You look at uh, Laporte in the last couple of games, maybe not at the top of his game. John Stones has come back. He came back against Burnley and, and, and done pretty well. Obviously, Ake came in and, and I thought did all right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would like to see Stones play a bit more, given how how well he played last season. But I think you can understand why he hasn't really played that much this this season so far. And... he he was missing against Bruges for personal reasons. So I suppose it depends on that situation, whether he's he's going to be available this weekend. I don't think you can really fault Diaz and Laporte so far. I think they they complement each other pretty well. You might say that Laporte was... Almost a little bit of fault for one of the goals against Liverpool, and and looked a little bit wobbly against Burnley at times last weekend. But I still think he's a really good player, and and Diaz is obviously the the, the captain basically, isn't he at the moment, um, and the, and the leader of that defense. So you'd want him and, and one other alongside him. Um, I thought Ake was pretty good against Burnley at left back. Uh, that might be an opportunity for him to get a few more games this season because I don't really see him sort of disrupting the, the centre back partnership um, unless there's an injury problem at some point. So. Yeah, it's nice to have a few options there. Um, I would probably go DS and Laporte this weekend um, if it were up to me. Yeah,
4: AD, just looking at defences, um, after City and Chelsea, Brighton have the best defence this season and that one kind of passed me by a little bit. So I'm, I'm guessing very tough to break down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And part of that is down to the midfield as well. But um, under Graham, when he came in, uh, he, he's, he sorted out a... a, a the defence first and he's working out in the midfield. He's still working out what to do up top, actually. That's, that's where, that's where the problems lie. But defensively, we've always been solid. Um, We've got the, we've got one of the best English centre-backs in, in, in the league uh, playing for us. And, and uh, who's, Manages to get massively overlooked by Gareth Southgate every time he selects a squad, which is amazing to everyone that Lewis Dunk isn't in a regular for England. We've also had Shane Duffy come back. He had a, dip, he, a well-documented, very difficult time away on loan at, at Celtic. He probably he thought he kicked his last ball in the Premier League, certainly for us. Difficult problems off the pitch with, um, with his dad dying and... Um, and getting divorced and and all sorts of things going on off the pitch and it's very it's very it's very easy to forget that players players have lives outside of the pitch as well and you know they all go through the same emotions as everybody else and you know and and you know I, they're expected to forget everything as soon as they cross the white line and and it's not it doesn't work that way um so but he's come back in and it, the renaissance of Shane has it, just been absolutely wonderful to watch because he is a bit of a hero to us he's you know he's blood and thunder people said he couldn't really play football he's he's more of a put your body on the line type defender rather than a, a ball playing defender um, but he's shown he can play a little bit as well, and he's always going to be a dangerous set of pieces as well, so so that's that's good. We also had uh, Mark Cucarella come in, like I said, from, from Getafe. He's been an absolute revelation. Uh, he's coming in at left-back. Never quite sure what formation, whether it's going to be a three or two, uh, sorry, a three, a four or a five um, that he plays, um, but it's always going to be progressive, and and we're, we're, we're always trying to play as far up the pitch as possible. Um, we know that you'll come and you're going to press us uh you'll try and turn over the ball quickly and um, so it's going to be up to our midfield to be on, on our toes but we defend as a team and uh we score as a team
4: yeah um well before we let you go ad let's uh we got charity back coming up a bit later on in the show so uh, let's have a score prediction from you
0: well i'm we know we, pep's probably still angry after after last season he doesn't doesn't like to lose he wasn't happy about the way that Graham celebrated the uh, us getting a winning goal, as if that, I mean, as if teams are not allowed to score winning goals against you. Was, I mean, he'll want to put one over us and he want to get the get the points on the and, and keep the pressure on on, on the top. So I'm going to go. I think you will win. I think we'll make you. We'll push you all away for it. I'm going to go for a, a two nil away win. Two
4: nil away win. Uh,
0: we'll put on the charity bet later on, Eddie. Thank you very much for joining
4: us today, Eddie Packham from Albion Royal. Thank you. Pleasure. So that brings us on to the midweek game with West Ham. Um, Dan, little, a uh, little bit of Carabao action. Can't turn that down for a midweek, can
2: we? I know. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm a, do you know what? I'm I'm a bit worried about this one. I'm a bit worried that our glorious run in the Carabao might be coming to an end. Um, it feels kind of unthinkable that we could get knocked out of it. i <laughs> having been in it for about six years running now, doesn't it? But I think it's going to really hurt when it actually happens as well. So I hope it's not this weekend. But yeah, I mean we coming up against a good side, aren't we?
4: It's got to happen sometime. The only thing is, I hope, I hope it's just not this season because if they win it this season, they've got more um, League Cups in a row than anybody else and they've got more League Cups than anybody else. At the moment, they, <laughs> both of those records are currently tied with Liverpool. If they win it this season, they take both of those records outright. So that's, that's, that's my hope.
2: I love how we're determined to get like a record like that, and literally no one else in the world of football cares <laughs> at all.
4: Yeah, and no, nobody else knows that record exists. It's, no. it's just us. Yeah, Simon.
5: No, um, no one else in the country even has in the world has a league cup. It's only yeah. everyone that does it.
4: Yeah, Simon. Looking at this one, um, as Dan says, it's not going to be an easy tie, is it? Given West Ham's recent form. No, no, no.
5: Um, yeah, I, I like the way West Ham play and are set up and David Moyes has shown himself to be to be very good. Um and there's sort of even signs that the the curse of the London Stadium might be over for them. So the days of City going there and winning five nil every week um were, were were over last season when they sort of were fortunate, I guess, to pick up a one all. One all draw. They didn't play well at all when it was at the start of the season when they were they were all knackered. But yeah, West Ham very good. They, I mean the the only thing I would like from the game um is for Guardiola having sort of badgered everyone to get five subs is for uh, Guardiola to use none against West Ham. <laughs> I think was that gonna- would be a perfect perfect way to do it.
4: I was going to say, Dan, that that screams the sort of thing Guardiola would do for this one. Um, The other thing that screams that that, that Guardiola would do is is go hilariously full strength. Do you know what I mean?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it, it it might depend on how we get on against Brighton. If we get a good result against Brighton, that kind of might tempt him into resting a few players. Um, if we if we get a bad result against Brighton, he might want to sort of try and bounce back quickly. I mean, I mean, City can rotate and still put eleven internationals out, can't they? It would, I think it would be nice for for Cole Palmer to be rewarded with a, with a start and, and maybe introduce some other youngsters from the bench like McAtee, maybe even Romeo Lavia. But um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see how West how seriously West Ham take the Carabao because because obviously they've got the Europa League to contend with this season as well, so it's probably not a big priority for them, really. Um, so, yeah, th- I think I think they might rest a few as well, so it'll uh, be interesting to see that.
4: Yeah, Simon, so, mean, we're obviously talking about Palmer earlier on in the show, but uh, what, what other names would you like to see in this one? Dan mentioned uh, McAtee and Lavia there. McAtee's one that I think is exciting a lot of fans too.
5: Yeah, and uh, a, a local boy, and, uh, you know, ex-United Academy, which often sits, sits well with... Uh, with the local fans uh mm. he's had a terrific start to the season and he's uh great very tactically versatile i mean he's sort of he's one of those like pep would say they can play everywhere across the the front line or or anything like that but he, he came on against um wickham at left back so very good uh josh wilson Esbrand, i think is in a, a good position by virtue of the position that he plays um with left back with City not having too many options there although it is it, probably a game where zinchenko is going to going to come in and, and get his first start in in forever um but wilson Esperan might might benefit and uh, he scored a very good goal in the the UEFA youth league this week um, so he's in form um and then it, it'd be nice to see one of the well at least one of the the two promising uh more than two, really. The, the centre backs. they have got centre backs coming out their ears, but um, <laughs> Luke and Bette, very, very good. Um, and uh, Finley Burns, promising as well. He played um, alongside him against Wickham. So the, the, there are a lot of um, players that can genuinely fit into this first team, and we've not really been able to say that. I, I, I can't remember a time when you could say that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean.
4: Um... Well, let's get on to the charity bet. Each of us gets a £10 correct score single on the podcast for each of City's games. It's from William Hill, and the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank support. Uh, They're raising money for the Trussell Trust to help all of Greater Manchester's food banks. So far, we've raised £370, and we've got two more chances to add to that today. Uh, We already heard from Adi that he's thinking a 2-0 City win at Brighton. That's 11 to 2 and £55, if he's right. Simon, what are you going for for Brighton?
5: I'm going for 2-1. 2-1
4: 2-1 is 8-1 and £80 if you're right. Dan?
5: I reckon
4: 3-1. 3-1, uh, I'll take that because it's 12-1 and £120. Um, I'm going for 2-0 at West Ham, a 2-0 City win because uh, it's the League Cup and I've got no idea what's going to happen from either side <laughs> or how it's going to go, so I'll go middle of the road. Uh, 6-1 and £60 if I'm right. Dan, what are you having for that?
2: A very cautiously optimistic 2-1 to City.
4: Cautious optimism will gain you 7-1 to and £70 if you're right. And Simon?
5: Uh, and I've flipped. I'm going 3-1 City.
4: 3-1 City is 10 to one and £100 if you're right. So you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at begambleaware.org. And that's it for this week's Blue Moon Podcast. Thank you very much to my guest, Simon Bakowski. Thank you very much. And Dan Burke. Thanks for having me. Thanks to you for listening as well. If you'd like a little bit more and you want to support the show, then we've got bonus episodes every Monday for Patreon backers. Sign up for that for just £2 per month and you'll get those. Details are on patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Last Monday, Jonathan Smith and Nick Miller were mulling over the best and worst games between City and Nottingham Forest in the latest edition of City Heaven, City Hell. They've been great fun to make, so please go and give it a shot. You'll get four or five episodes for your £2 each month and you'll also get a whole back catalogue of bonus shows as well. If that wasn't Enough Patreon backers get the weekly Friday show completely ad free too. Just take a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Join us next week to review the games with Brighton and West Ham. I'll see you then.
3: That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please support the show. patreon.com forward slash blue moon
2: podcast.